Hello, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So today I'm talking to Pete Quinones. Um, I'm sure you guys already know who he is. He is the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, and he does have some new fancy titles that we will talk about a little later. But where I wanted to start with you, Pete, is that you've kind of had a little bit of a shift lately, not necessarily in ideology, but in approach to kind of promoting the ideology of anarchism and different ideas about how we could better approach the situation of trying to promote libertarianism, anarchism, and where our energies, I think, would be better focused. So go ahead and kind of explain to people where you're at with that. Well, I think it's funny that you're using the term anarchism when uh, this week we were considered to be the enemy of the American people, just uh, you know, broadly across the whole spectrum. But um, I've crossed over into agorism, uh, agorism, and basically what agorism is, is it's what anarcho-capitalism is, and pretty much every agorist believes what anarcho-capitalism teaches, except we bring a strategy to the game. So if you look at Sam Conkin's books, he wrote two books, Complete, An Agorist Primer, and The New Libertarian Manifesto. And the first thing most people realize is, well, they're really small. You know, you look at human action, 900 pages. You look at man economy and state, you're talking about, you know, a thousand pages. And then Konkin brings in these two books that are a hundred pages or less. And people are like, well, what's going on there? Well, Konkin just defaults into, yeah, Mises got it right. Um, Rothbard got it right. As far as the whole strategy, the whole idea of free market economics but they didn't have a strategy for carrying it out. So what those two books basically do, do is it brings out a strategy that can be used to implement this. And what it is basically is it's the gray and the black market. So Konkin's ideas were that the only true free market in the United States is the black or the gray market. And black market is obviously, I think most people know what that is. It'd be you're selling drugs, maybe you're uh, in places that it's illegal. Um, You're sidestepping, you're selling guns in places that are illegal, stuff like that. But the gray market is a lot easier. I think most people have at some point in their life operated in the gray market. And that's like, um, if people are familiar with the term in the South, the shade tree mechanic. So you don't want to take your car to get fixed at a garage. It's going to charge you $90 or $110 an hour for labor. So the neighborhood knows that there's this guy who's a mechanic during the day, but when he comes home at night, he fixes cars in his driveway and you might pay him 40 or $50 an hour or something like that. Even less, sometimes just a case of beer. Well, the great thing about that is you're paying them cash or I mean, you could, <laughs> cryptocurrency would be preferable, silver, gold, anything, and you're not paying taxes. So no money's going to the government. So Konkin's whole thing was the more people we can get doing that on a regular basis, we can starve the government of, of funds. 
and you know somebody who's like a shade tree mechanic and that's the way they make their living where they don't even have a real job they just have cars brought to them all day but they're still making a living making their house payment making this making that that person's paying no no income tax and in that case you're enough people do that you're weakening the government so where you pick up a text for anarcho capitalism like Anatomy of the State or you know, any pretty much any text by Rothbard, Hoppe, um, Walter Block. They're talking about theory. Konkin came along and said, How do we implement this? And his two books, Agoras Primer and New Libertarian Manifesto, lay that out. So that is what I've started to promote. Now, there was an event that. I think that anyone who knows me knows that I've been an agorist for a long time. Um, I would say at least 12 years and 10, maybe 12, probably. But I've always kept it close to my vest and really not talked a lot about what I do. And I still don't talk about specifics, but I am going to start promote something, promoting something that you know, I believe helps me to have more freedom than the average person, more liberty than the average person. And if people were more willing to adopt that, I think that they could have more liberty as well. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into agorism, but an overview that I can just give quick summary is the basics of anarcho-capitalism, but how to implement it in real life. And I think now's a good time and an interesting time to talk about it too, because a lot of places, even though we are kind of in this different situation of now we're talking about the George Floyd situation and we have the protests and we have the riots, we do still have a lot of states that are under COVID restrictions and COVID lockdowns. And so you're starting to have people out of basic necessity for needing to have things done, trying to find ways to circumvent these lockdowns and to circumvent kind of the state restrictions on certain things like, say, getting a haircut or getting a manicure or you want to go to the farmer's market or whatever it is that you want to do that's technically illegal right now, but you still either need to or want to have it done, people are finding ways to kind of get around that. And that's kind of part of agorism too, is finding that way to get what you need and avoid the state as much as humanly possible in the process. And it's just now people are kind of having to do it versus just it being a choice to do it. Well, I'll give you a quick example. I would say probably a month, a month and a half ago, there were warnings coming out that there was going to be food shortages and not only food shortages, but meat shortages. And you know, 85 to 90 percent of my diet is you know, animal flesh is protein. And I got contacted by somebody who has a farm in southern Alabama and he listens to the podcast. He, um, he's a fan. And he said, if you have shortages or anything, I have steer down here. All you got to do is make the drive. We'll load you up and, um, you know, you can head back. And that that even if he were to give me that and I weren't to give him any cryptocurrency or or, or you know, fiat dollars for it or silver or gold. I mean, that's still agorism because you're operating outside the system. And you know, it, other stuff is, I mean, you can, there are videos on YouTube that can show you how in the, in trash cans, you know, the, like the plastic trash cans, but metal, metal cans would be better. Like the oil drums, 55 gallon oil drums. If you live in an apartment on your porch, you can grow potatoes and 
then you have your own stash and you don't have to worry about it. Or if you know it's there's no food shortage, you can take it down to the local private farmer's market and you can sell it. And you know, as long as you're going to the right kind of farmer's market, you're not selling it and collecting taxes. So I mean, there's the possibilities are endless. But yes, in it, it was this whole COVID-19 thing that made me make the switch and um, one of the things I did was I just abandoned the Libertarian Party altogether. I just I see the leftover what's going to come out of COVID-19 and now these riots is that we're going to lose an insane amount of liberty, individual liberty. And right from the start of the COVID, I saw that. And that made me leave the party because there's not going to be any political solutions and People were selling me on the idea of, oh, let's use it as an education tool. If you get the right person in there, they can spread a message and everything. And I'm like, okay, that's great. You go do that. Um, I'm going to take the time that I would at the time and the money that I would use to do that, and I'm going to invest it in myself with agorism. And that's another great thing about agorism, agorism. You can pronounce it either way. That people don't realize is, is you're, it's one of the few ways to really free yourself as an individual. But what Konkin talks about, and especially in uh, like J. Neil Shulman's book, Alongside Night, which is the agorist version of Atlas Shrugged, and much more entertaining and shorter, and no wooden characters, um, where they talk about how after a while, enough agorists in one area start popping up that they can form cadres to protect each other and to be and you know, grow numbers. And I think at this point with everything that we're seeing coming from the government and I mean, contact tracing is like it, nobody knew what contact tracing was three months ago. And now it's pretty much a default on everyone's smartphone. And they've already said, I think it was um, Minneapolis said that they were going to use the app to track people who were being arrested for the riots and everything. It's like, well, I said that's what I said as soon as I heard contact tracing. I knew it wasn't only going to be used for tracking people with covid. I knew it was going to be used for security reasons and for security state reasons. So, you know, there's I just really think agorism is the way to go right now to free up some liberty for yourself and to, you know, have a genuine fighting chance against what, you know, I see as becoming I mean, we already live in a security state every piece of metadata of every email and every phone call and everything um, gets stored somewhere and can be pulled up in the future. But uh, I just see that they're building a panopticon where they're going to be able to see you wherever you go, no matter where you are. And I think the only way uh, there's no, you're not going to defeat that politically. You're just going to defeat that by using good old fashioned, um, (laughs) having a good old fashioned criminal mindset. (laughs) And, um, I I really honestly believe that that's, that's where we're at right now. And, um, if these riots get any worse or say these cops in Minneapolis are found innocent, I think the, the world's going to burn and people are going to, you know, really need to protect themselves. And what one thing that we've learned 
in the last week is that the government and the state, the police, no one's going to protect you. And it's about time that libertarians, anarchists, and um, you know, big L, if you're big L or small L, you really have to start thinking about taking care of yourself. That's true. And a, a question that I, I want to know if this would be the fairest way to kind of do like a bumper sticker version of explaining agorism to somebody is to explain it as pretty much as far as what we have right now would be like the purest distillation of free market capitalism, where your your exchange is between person A and person B, and there's as little to no state involved as humanly possible. Yeah, you're going to want to want it to be no state involvement whatsoever. I would I, I'm shying away from the term capitalism. Um, Konkin talked about the term. Carl Hess talked about the term. J. Neil Shulman talked about the term. The term can equally mean state capitalism, um, you know, the state protecting certain businesses. I mean, this was obviously Marx's um, Mar- Marx's um, whole critique of capitalism was he saw it as the cronyism, as cronyism in his day, which it was. Um, but the great thing about agorism is is that a lot of people who are Marxists or you know consider themselves call themselves communists you know while they're eating at McDonald's and playing on their iPhone, they um, will say that capitalism can only exist that a free market that a quote unquote free market can only exist if the government exists and agorism completely destroys that because capital because agorism is the free market it is what pure capitalism would be acquiring capital doing whatever you want with it and then distributing it directly but the agorist is probably the freest free marketer on the planet and they are at war with the government the government wants to destroy them wants to put them in jail wants to silence them. So it kind of just destroys Marx's whole theory that capitalism and free exchange can only be protected by a government since the government's at war with us. Would you say, say, comparing agorism to anarchism, is there really any kind of significant difference between the two other than agorism basically being anarchism applied? Or is there any kind of theoretical differences between the two that are remarkable enough to speak on? Uh, I think that pretty much every agorist is going to be a an anarchist, even if they don't realize it, because, you know, the aforementioned war with the state and you're performing, you're, you're providing goods, you're providing services, um, outside of, you know, and what, who are some other agorists, sex workers, the biggest, some of the biggest agorists in the world. Um, you're outside of the state and you're at war with the state. So yeah, I mean, they truly are, it's the purest form of anarchism, but taking into account that only the free market works because as soon as you, anyone who tries to call themselves an anarchist who talk like is a socialist or is a, is a communist, they can't be an anarchist because they central plan 
And if they say, oh, well, everything's going to be voluntary, well, then they're not a socialist or a communist anymore. Because if it's all voluntary, then that's pure free market. That's pure agorism or pure anarchy. So, um, yeah, I mean, most agorists that I know that I come in contact with, that I learn from, that I talk to and um, that I respect, they're all pure anarchists. Yeah, and especially if you're applying agorism to anarchy, then you definitely can't have like an ANCOM because agorism requires there to not be central planning. It's the whole point. You can't have central planning. It has to be between person A and person B and nobody else can really step in and kind of interfere in that transaction. Well, what Konkin said was he said that Agorists are also the purest entrepreneurs because they see a need, they fill it, and even if they have somebody working for them, that person is more of an – like say you have somebody who um, imports imports weed from somewhere else and you know into a state like Georgia, say, where it's not legal. So they import it in from California and then they – break it down into you know, sell, saleable parts uh, and weights, well, they need distribution. Well, that distribution is not a, it, it isn't it an employee that's getting paid by the hour. That's somebody who they're making a deal with them. Hey, you do this, you keep this cut and everything. So even the person who might be bringing it in, who be, may be making more money than the person who's distributing it, still that person who's distributing it, it has a control of their income as well and has a control they can leave and, and go as they want. So really, when they, when you get down to it, in, in agorism, in agorism, pretty much everyone's an entrepreneur. And you, know, you read enough Mises and you'll find out that the entrepreneur is the it is what guides civilization. If it wasn't for the entrepreneur, I mean, we would be, we wouldn't, we'd still be driving, we'd still be in horse buggy, you know, horse and buggy, things like that. We'd still, you know, there would be no telephone. And these are people who just decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fit. I'm filling a need or I'm, seeing something that I think is going to be revolutionary and they, you know, basically put themselves out there and do it. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, another great thing about agorism is that everybody can, you can really just do your own thing and, and you're really your own boss. You may be relying on other people for supply or something like that, but you are your own boss. Before we leave out of this topic and move on to the next one, I kind of want to cycle back to a point that you made when we first started talking, and that's about how the the rioters that we have right now are being described as anarchists, and they're, they're not. I mean, by anarchist principles, they're not. What they are is kind of nihilist, and I think a lot of times people think that anarchists are nihilist, and... To properly understand anarchist philosophy and to properly understand agorist philosophy, you have to understand that nihilism doesn't really have a place here. Like, you can't go around destroying other people's stuff. There has to be some level of trust with your 
your fellow people in your community and the people that you're interacting with in order to create this society. So I just kind of wanted to take a moment to push back against this whole idea that people who burn things down or people who steal other people's stuff are anarchists because that's not what anarchy is. And and that also kind of just ties into agorism too, because obviously under an agorist society, you certainly can't have people running around doing that because that's not going to be permissible. Now, what did what did Negan say in, in Walking Dead? I will shut that shit down. And agorists will shut that shit down quickly. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not going to have anybody destroy their business or um, interrupt their business. And no one would want that, especially in an agorist society. I mean, they're the supply chain. So any problem like that is going to interrupt the supply chain. Uh, the I think if you really sit down with most people who call themselves anarchists and are, you know, and I'm talking about free market anarchists, I'm not talking about these people throwing bricks and you know, hurting private property. I think if you ask them what they want most out of life is they just want to be left alone. And if you asked me, I just want to be left alone. I just want the state to be gone out of my life so that I can do, I can prosper and I can do the kind of things that I want. And by me saying that, by any anarchist saying that, it's that flies right in the face of nihilism because nihilists, they don't want to just be left alone. They're not, I've never talked to a nihilist who was, I mean, and I'm talking about, I've known a couple of people who were real, real nihilists. They didn't want to just be left alone. They wanted to talk about their nihilism all the time. They want to bring people into it and, you know, and, and make them as miserable as them. I guess the difference with me is I want to make people as free as I want to be. I want people, I want other people to be as free as I want to be. But I mean, if they don't want that, I still have the right. I mean, even if 99% of the people on the planet didn't want freedom, that doesn't mean us 1% should be denied it. And I think that is something that most people, even people who've been big L libertarians for their whole life, or even some small L libertarians, just don't get, is that we just want to be, we, we just want to live our lives. And people who want to live their lives and be left alone, especially people who abide by the non-aggression principle of, you know, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. There's no reason why we shouldn't be allowed to do that. And there's no such thing as a social contract. There's, this is all just some kind of mythos. It's some kind, it's something that people have been sold in, you know, it, to make them dependent on the government. I mean, the 15,000 hours of indoctrination in their schools helps a lot. But I mean, people think that if there are actually people out there who believe that if I was granted as an individual, that the government said, we're not going to have anything to do with you anymore. They think I'm going to go on a killing spree. That's, that's what they have in their heads. And it only I, I can only think of two reasons why they think that is one is that's what they've been taught or two, that's what they would do. 
I, I don't have really, I really don't have any other uh, any other explanation as to why people would think that. Yeah, and I think the best counter to that argument is to steal the old famous Penn Jillette quote of, "I already rape as many people as I want to. That number is zero. Like I, I already don't do these things because I don't want to do them, not because the state is telling me not to do them, but because I know." you shouldn't rape people and you shouldn't kill people and you shouldn't steal from people and you shouldn't destroy their property. Like it's not, if if you think that it's the state keeping people from doing that or keeping you from doing that, then you take an even more cynical view of humanity than what libertarians and anarchists are accused of doing. <laughs> but I think this is it, a that is a good that is a good pendulette point though. I mean that is you can find anyone can find that online. Just um like type pendulette I rape as much as I want or something like that, and you'll find the whole thing. And it's really one of the most perfect representations of libertarianism is that you know if <laughs> the government really can't stop crime, they really can't. It's usually the way they stop crime is they get a tip from a normal person or a normal person turns somebody else in or they just like blind squirrels finding an acorn just stumble upon a criminal. But I mean, that's so infrequent. You know, police are historians. You know, they always show up after the person is dead or raped or or robbed. And that's why people have to really be, take care of themselves. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, people are, I think most people absent a state would be fine. And some, some other people might have to be taken care of. But I think once people, <laughs> I, I think without a state, it would become really clear, really quick, just how many guns there are out there. <laughs> Especially in certain parts of the country, yes. <laughs> but I think now is a good pivot point, as any, to talk about your fancy new title. You are an executive producer on a documentary. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that goes up on my ego wall. <laughs> <laughs> you fancy, huh? Yeah. So explain to people about the documentary and what it's about. Well, the documentary is called The Monopoly on Violence, and we're recording this on a Thursday on Monday morning past. So three and a half days ago, we threw it up on YouTube. We are preparing it for Amazon uh, in a couple weeks. And then after it's been on Amazon for a while, you know, at least a month, we're going to submit it to Netflix and try to get some some people who have stuff on Netflix to lobby to get it up on Netflix. But we've gotten, as just as we started recording this on YouTube, it went over 20,000 views in uh, four, four days, in less than four days. Like I said, it's called The Monopoly on Violence, and it's a three-act play of the history of the state, the history of states and you know we'll look at some early states we look at some more recent states and um we, we have james c scott who wrote books like against the grain and the art of not being governed he talks about just how young like the modern state is 
And he does a great job of showing exactly what the modern state would be, what it would, um, the thing, the characteristics that would have it be a modern state. And then we talk about what it does, taxation, war. I mean, just the things that destroy individual, individual liberty and destroy life. And this, the second part too is against the state where we talk, you know, we just make the arguments for, you know, why the state is too dangerous to exist to borrow a phrase from a, a Robert Higgs, um, um, a Robert Higgs speech that he gave one year. And then the third part is how we could live so much better with how statelessness would work. And we do that by going over some theory, but we also give examples of how people live outside of the state now and not outside of the state, but how they do things outside of the state and talk about like a part of Southeast Asia that James C. Scott calls Zomia, which is the highlands where they, there's no state, there's no government there. And what James found out was that what historians thought were that the people who lived in the lower, like the flood, the flood um, plains where you can grow stuff and you have a better, um, you can defend yourself a little easier. Uh, I don't know how much being up on a mountain is a lot easier, but this is what their whole idea. And the whole thing was that just to give you an example of something that we have in there was that these people came from the highlands and they went down into the plains and that's how they started civilization. Well, what Professor Scott was able to show is that no, all of these people were down in the plains and the ones that went up into the mountains were the ones that wanted to be free of states. So he talks about that. It's one of the things he talks about. Then we, you know, we talk about mutual aid societies. We talk about um, you know, black guns matter and groups like voluntarism in action, food, not bombs. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I think it's a, we, we put together a piece that d- totally destroys the argument the state's there to protect you. We pretty much show that the state is there to protect itself. And if you get in the way, you get destroyed. And we show how it could be a better, how the, the world could be better, how certain, certain people who want to live outside of a monopoly on violence and force um, could do it and could be more successful and even more advanced technologically and societally than if is that even a word societally um yeah have an even a more advanced society outside of the state and how the state you know really retards that so uh, yeah we're really proud of it and 20 over a little over 20,000 views at this point um we've, I, I mean I think I've read two negative things about it. 
you know, two reviews or two comments where people were being negative about it. And one was that, um, oh, it's just way too intellectual for, for, um, a regular audience. And then, you know, 20 other people would say, I sent it to my idiot brother and he thought it was like one of the best things he'd ever seen. So there's a little contradiction there. And I know it's something that had been in the works for a couple of years now. And just sadly, the timing of this is very fortuitous with everything that's going on in this country. I I wish we weren't here, but in a way, I'm glad we are because there are conversations that are starting to be had now because of the, the George Floyd situation and of his killing. People are starting to question police tactics and now you're starting to have people even learning what qualified immunity is and now finding out like oh this is why cops act the way they do because they can legally and now we need to do something about that and you're starting to see or at least I see on social media people starting to have the conversation around the phrase abolish all cops and people trying to parse like, well, what does that mean? And like for some people, it means kind of defunding cops and kind of drawing them back. But then there are also people that say when they say abolish all cops, like, no, we mean abolish all cops. Like these guys have to go. And so I think that having this out there now that talks about how the state does have this monopoly on violence and how they do control your life, I think is, like I said, sadly fortuitous, but at least it's something that I think can add to our current national conversation right now. Yeah, I saw a headline today that Minneapolis, a their town uh, town hall, their 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 monopolists on force got together and were talking about abolishing the Minneapolis police force and. Of course, I mean, <laughs> as much of an optimist as I can be sometimes, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, it'd be having this documentary. It's like, hey, go to time code number yada, 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 and listen to Bob Murphy talk about that. Listen to Dr. Robert P. Murphy talk about how you can abolish the police force and that you can have you can have private policing where a neighborhood would get together and they'd pay for policing. Of course, there'd be some free riders, but I mean, there's free riders now. So, I mean, that's not really an argument. Um, or you'd have, you could have volunteers and people who, I mean, there's already, you know, most people don't even realize this, but private secu- there's more private security guards in the United States right now than there are paid police. So, you know, I think Michael Malice likes to use this um, this little question where he said, where do you feel more comfortable walking uh, in a dark alley in the downtown of a big city at night or walking through the mall? And I think most people would say they feel more comfortable and safer walking through the mall. Well, in most cases, that mall is not being um, patrolled by the city, county, or state police, but private security, whereas that alley down there is being, quote unquote, protected by, you know, the monopoly. And the monopoly is not going to be there to 
you know, <laughs> they don't have enough people to be like, oh, you get on that alley, I'll go down this alley and we'll just, you know, make sure people don't get hurt. No, I mean, it's just not it's not an efficient system. And then, you know, you could always bring up stuff like Lazito versus New York City or Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, where court after court after court after court has said the police have no, quote unquote, special duty to protect you, which means if the police know you're being raped in your house and they stay outside and wait until it's all over, you can't sue them. We saw that in Parkland most famously. I think most people saw that um, where not the school resource officer, but four cops who had stayed in their car and not gone in, they were all fired. And one was recently hired back with full pension, with full, full back pay up to, to the tune of $190,000. So these people aren't even there to protect you. And what I like to tell people is that if you did have a cop that protected you one time or found your lost dog or got your cat out of the tree or did recover something that was stolen from you, I mean, you consider yourself lucky. They didn't they don't have to do that. That is not their job. When you see if you see any more to serve and protect on the side of a car, notice it's in quotes. It's in quotes for a reason. They're making fun of you because you still believe this. So yeah, I'd r- much rather have private security. I mean, if, at least if they screw up, you can fire them and get someone who's better. If the police screw up, well, what do you do? I mean, you you could hire private security for yourself, but you're still paying for the cop. Your st- taxes are still being taken for the cop. So now you have to pay twice. So yeah, I, I hope that this, I think that we release this on we try to release it on sunday we had a couple issues and we released it on monday and we wanted to get it out there there's still a couple things we really need to tweak before we send it to amazon there was a couple audio level issues here and there and um, but we wanted to get it out now because it just while there are cities that are burning and businesses being destroyed people need to see why this is all happening and it's because of the state. You can blame. People can blame these rioters all they want. And I do. I mean, they, you know, in an anarchist society, this would not happen. They would be shut down immediately. Um, but realize that this is happening. You know, people say, oh, if there was no government, you know, uh, if there were no if there was no government cities would be burning to the ground well, what's happening right now there's a better way and i think i think people should step aside and let some of us who know how to do this and have done the study on it let us give it a shot and i think that people will see that what we have to offer is a lot better than these people who are out there just watching businesses be being burnt down to the ground. I think it's a conversation that's going to start happening more and more if these protests keep going on. And it's not just, I, I want to focus on the protest aspect of it because it's not just, everyone wants to focus on the rioters and the looters. Like, no, the people that are committing the most violence in these situations are the police. Like, I wake up every morning and I look at my Twitter timeline and it's just full of videos of cops from 
New York City and DC and Boston and LA and Dallas and Houston of cops instigating violence against peaceful protesters. But then you have these videos where there is actually rioting, rioting and looting happen and there's not a cop to be found. So now it's like, okay, you think the cops are here to protect you or protect your property? Clearly not, because they're not doing that. They're over here harassing people and in some cases just straight up attacking people. I've seen cops beat people in the streets. They pepper sprayed people. They've rammed people with police cruisers. Like, it's insane the things that cops are doing right now. And it's just like now I think people are ready to have the discussion about state violence and about how the the institutions that you think are here to protect you really aren't here to protect you at all. Well, I, I think it really just goes to show that people have this idea that people who become police officers are like better than us. They're like these super people. But no, I mean, they have adopted the tactics of the rioters. Now, I don't want to get into like a whole psychological um, examination of the, of the mind of the rioter. But, you know, people get into crowds and crowds start doing things and people tend to be, a lot of people tend to be, you know, collectivists. So they go right along with it. But it, what's funny is you, when you see the way cops are acting now, and especially that video out of Atlanta, where they just, these two college kids, and I think, it, I, I want to point out that the two college kids were black because the car in front of them had, you can only see who's in the passenger seat, but it's a white girl and she has her window open and they're not messing with her, but they go after these two black kids and break the window open. But it's not even a race thing because the cops are black and they bust the window open, tase both of them. The guy in the passenger seat, I'm telling you, he had that prong in him for at least 45 seconds where you can just hear it and and you could see him just convulsing in the seat and the cops are just taking so they're it's like they're taking so much joy in this and it really goes to show that police are not equipped to do the job that they've been given. You know, I give the police a lot of crap and I take a lot of crap for giving the police a lot of crap. But when it comes down to it, I will say that the way what they are asked to do for their job, I don't think that human beings can do that job without going over the edge or burning out or really having it causing them such psychological problems that they either become monsters or they eat their gun. And I think that the, anybody who wants to go start looking at some of the videos of the way they're acting, I mean, and, and keep in mind that term to serve and protect, I mean, they're not, they're serving themselves and they're protecting themselves. That's all I've seen out of this. I mean, you can pick here and there. You might see somebody, the police saving somebody or helping a business owner or something like that. But I don't see that that's the, the, 
the dominant narrative. Yeah, yeah the dominant role. agenda. Yeah. And they, honestly, in this, I think you're right. The police are no better than the rioters. I, I just think they I think they all need to be put down <laughs> metaphorically. You know, I mean, they just, these people are insane and just, wow. I mean, I, but, but the worst thing that's going to come out of this is the narrative. You, you have like different narratives coming out. You have the left is wanting to play politics with this and, oh, they have a right to be out there. But no, but three weeks ago, Nobody had a right to go protest at the state capitol shutdowns because of COVID-19. I guess we're done with COVID-19 worries. Um, and then the right instead, of, and and this is the, and here's a, a, a huge weakness in the right is that through all of this, I've remembered why all this started. I remember that a cop kill the man on film, uh, you know, while being videoed and did it nonchalantly and did it with, you know, the, the whole myth of the bad cop, the bad apple and people, uh, people forget what that, you know, a few bad apples spoils the whole bunch. Yeah. You know, people don't, people don't finish that out when they say, Oh, there's always going to be a few bad apples. Yeah. Finish it. Say the whole thing and think about what you're saying. But there were th three other cops there, and they didn't do anything to stop it. And the what looks like Asian cop basically stood guard if anybody wanted to do anything. You know, and I, I talked about this with Jeff Deist, and you know, we agreed that if a libertarian was there and they had a gun, they not only legally but morally had a right to stop it, to put an end to it, to stop him from doing that. No matter, you know, I mean, you're going to have to take consequences in um, consequences will <laughs> inevitably mm -hmm. fall upon you. But I mean, to save a man's life, you know, I mean, I just don't know what to say about this whole thing other than everybody, everybody has lost their mind. And oh, I, let me get back to the right. Um, what I was saying about the right is even when this whole thing started and everybody saw this video even people on the right, even people who would defend the cops to the death were like, man, that's not right. But as soon as these people started rioting, you gave these weak-minded people on the right an excuse to uh, forget about forget about George Floyd and to now just concentrate on the rioters. You know, where I'm one of those people who can be like, the rioters are wrong. The cops were wrong. The end. You know, and that's the way a libertarian should look at it is don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Well, the cops don't hurt people, but the rioters don't take their stuff and don't hurt people. I mean, that's it's it's you can't take sides on this one. And, you know, I heard Dave Smith make this point and he said it's almost gotten to the point where going out there and being a peaceful protester is useless First of all, you're not going to get heard. You're not going to get covered. And second of all, you're going to get associated with these people. I, this is just a, a situation where no, one's gonna, no one can win. It's, it's really 
<laughs> you know, if I were still a religious person, I would say we'd be coming. We're coming right about to the end. You know, that, you know, that, that someone opened up a seal and um, <laughs> and we're going to see a horse in the sky pretty soon because it's people have just absolutely lost their minds. And the sad thing about it is I've gotten to the point where I haven't really gotten emotional over any of this because I've come to expect it. I mean, <laughs> especially after a three month lockdown, pretty much the whole country. I think that may have something to do with how people are acting as well. I'm just, the government has, when this whole COVID-19 thing started, there were all these people on social media who were saying, this proves the death of libertarianism. This proves the death of libertarianism. How would a libertarian handle this? How would a libertarian handle that? This proves the death of the state. The state can't handle a quote-unquote pandemic and the state can't handle you know uprisings or they can't handle they're not a security force it's one thing scott horton likes to say he goes the government and the police are supposed to be our security force they are there the military they are there to protect us that's what they're supposed to do that's what security does is they protect us they don't protect us. They prey upon us. They don't exist without stealing from us. It's, it, it couldn't be a better time for this documentary to come out because it covers all of this. And I really have a hard time just seeing how people aren't seeing it, that in all of this, in everything that's happened this year, the government is the problem. The government has caused all of this. I think people are starting to see it, especially, I mean, ever since February of this year, it's just been one massive systemic state failure after another, starting with the FDA and the CDC just completely shitting the bed on COVID. And now you've got you've you've got local police forces who seem unwilling or unable to perform basic functions with any kind of level of decency, certain exclusions apply. But I think this is going to start making a lot of people ask a lot of questions. I mean, and you started seeing this, especially with the response to COVID, the the government's response to COVID, and people started asking like, well, how did we get here? Like, well, let me explain to you how the CDC ruined this and how the FDA ruined this. And now with the George Floyd situation, which it's, I mean, um, like I said, I'm sad, but I'm happy we're here because I mean, it's not, George Floyd is not the first person to die at the hands of a cop. And it's not even, it, it's egregious in the way that it's demonstrating just how little police actually care about whether you know what they're doing. I mean, I still say the Daniel Shaver video is way worse. Like I said before in the last episode, Google that only if you have a very strong stomach. But people are starting to realize that, yeah, these, these things are problems. Like these things that perhaps you either didn't think about or you made assumptions that things operated in a certain way or you assumed that, of course, when shit hits the fan, the state is going to act correctly and fix things. And now people are finding out that that's not the case. And so 
I, I do think there's going to start being a bit more conversation, especially around policing and about state violence, but also about just government interference in things that people didn't necessarily know that the government had a finger in in the first place. And now they're finding this out. And it's like, wait a minute, wait, why, why are they here? What, what, what role do they have in this? I think people need to realize that once again, I'll reiterate from what I said previous, the police, military, government, but especially the police, they're supposed to be our security force. Okay. After it came, it came out that the reason they were called, they were called on George Floyd is he was alleged, allegedly passing a counterfeit $20 bill. So it's, it's not okay for him to counterfeit $20 bills, but the Federal Reserve, it's all right for them to counterfeit trillions of dollars. Okay, so they're, yeah, they're not criminals, obviously. Yeah. But if they're our security force, what were the police, by approaching him violently, how was George Floyd a threat to us? If if they're supposed to be providing security, it seems to me that if George Floyd was a threat to anyone, he was a threat to the police because when they showed up and they started manhandling him, maybe he fought back. Um, maybe he didn't want to be arrested. Maybe that wasn't a counterfeit $20 bill at all. He knew he did nothing wrong. And he's like, why are you hassling me? And normally on that in situations like that, you get the proverbial you get arrested for resisting arrest. You know how many people get arrested every day for resisting arrest and nothing else? No other charges. Think about that. You're you all you've done is spit in authority's face if you get arrested for for resisting arrest. The very thing that this country was founded upon, spitting in authority's face. Because the cops came, you knew you did nothing wrong, you're like, get the hell away from me. And then the cops arrest you for resisting arrest. There are people in jail right now for resisting arrest. They didn't do anything else. It's That's not security. They're not a security force. They are there to protect the state. And there's no better example of the fact that police only exist to protect the state than the George Floyd problem, uh, the George Floyd um, murder. Because who does passing a $20 uh, counterfeit $20 bill, if it was a counterfeit $20 bill, hurt? The store owner for $20. Okay, yes. But in a libertarian society, some kind of restitution would be made or something like that. But the reason counterfeiting is illegal is not because it hurts the store owner. It's because it hurts the state because the state has this monopoly on the creation of currency and the inflation of currency and they need to control it. They're not our security force. 
And the sooner people realize that, the quicker we can get into some serious policing like Dale Brown of Detroit Threat Management does, where he's actually paid privately to patrol neighborhoods. And he, he's been in business for over 20 years now. He's become multimillionaire by doing it. And he doesn't hurt. He doesn't hurt anybody because he knows that he can be sued. He can be brought into court. That's the beauty of private security. It's because somebody's accountable. I don't even think these four cops are going to go to jail. They may get their jobs back with back pay. That's just how everything that I've seen, the history of all of this, court cases like Connor versus Graham and all these, I, it's, we've, we've lost our minds. We've lost our minds that we allow this to happen and that people will actually just defend the cops and will defend the state every time. I just don't know where, I don't know what else to do other than talk about it on podcasts, talk about it on social media, and put out a documentary that you know, people, Netflix has made it popular. People seem to like documentaries nowadays, and hopefully people will see this one and it'll change their mind about some things, and maybe they'll start demanding change. Because until they demand change, or as agorists do to bring it back to agorism, just ignore the state and do what you want anyway. Things aren't going to change and, th and we're just going to be, you know, we're headed down a road to, I mean, totalitarianism. I mean, and pure, and it's very easy for them to do that right now, considering they can pretty much surveil wherever they want and they can see you wherever you go. And everybody has a tracking device in their pocket or their purse. So, um, yeah, you, we make it easy for them. <sighs> Well, on that positive, uplifting note, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So tell people where to find you and where to find the documentary. Okay. Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. That's my baby. That's what started all of this. I'm also the managing editor at the libertarianinstitute.org with everything happening with the documentary. I haven't been doing a lot of writing lately, but um, yeah. You see my back articles there. My podcast is on there as well. And then the documentary, The Monopoly on Violence. Right now it's on YouTube. Go there. And um, our channel is called uh, Stateless Productions. So you go to Stateless Productions, you'll see it there. Or you can go to my Twitter account and the pinned tweet has a link to it. Just go into YouTube, Monopoly on Violence. It'll come up. And watch for it to be coming out on Amazon very soon. And then cross fingers, we're going to do everything to get it on Netflix um, after it's been on Amazon for a while. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me for a while. No problem. It was, it was awesome. Thanks for letting me talk. Awesome. Thanks. As always, thank you for listening. And if you haven't watched the documentary yet, The Monopoly on Violence, I will put the YouTube link down in the show notes. And of course, you can always find Pete on his own podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall. So as always, take care and until next time.